Welcome to the Reader House Author Roundtable, where authors from all walks of life come together to discuss the trials, tribulations, and triumphs of publishing their books. I'm your host, Corey Graham. Join us here every Friday night at 8 p.m. or listen anytime via podcast at Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and PodServe, to name just a few. The Author Roundtable is sponsored by Reader House Online Bookstore, where the independent new authors come first. One of the effects that I think the pandemic has had is that it's made us all much more aware of our health and the way we live. The new book by Felicia Hunt looks at this and other issues around the pandemic in her new book, Remembering 2020, Year of the Most Memorable National Challenges. Felicia is joining me right now here at the Reader House Author Roundtable to tell me all about it. Felicia, welcome to the show. Thank you for being here. Yes, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It is my pleasure. Can you tell me all about your book, Remembering 2020? Yes, my book outlines and dissects the effects of the COVID-19 pandemic versus systemic racism in our black and brown communities, as well as bridging the gaps in healthcare in our rural black and brown communities, including high blood pressure, diabetes, high cholesterol, increasing strokes, and increasing heart attacks. Also, my book outlines and dissects the effects of the civil rights movement, the Black Lives Matter civil rights movement, as well as the vice presidential and presidential campaigns, which occurred in the year 2020 as well. Hmm. Felicia, you mentioned the black and brown communities you're addressing. Was that your target audience for this primarily? Yes, absolutely. Also, including individuals and families in the Latinx communities, mm. the LGBT plus communities, transgender communities, and non-binary communities as well. Mm. Felicia, how were you inspired to write this book? Where'd you get the idea? Well, I was a registered nurse for over 15 years, and I practiced mostly in the critical care area mm. and before I became a nurse practitioner. And I experienced individuals and families in the black and brown communities who received poor health care during my practice as a registered nurse. And then I've also seen it as a nurse practitioner. So that's what at first inspired me to write the book so that I can teach individuals in our black and brown communities how preventive health strategies and screenings that they can perform with their individuals and family members and their loved ones in their homes as they navigate through my book. Oh, that's so important. Have you ever done anything like this before, Felicia? Have you written or published before this? No, sir. This is my first book. <laughs> Congratulations. Did it take you a long time to do? Yes, sir. Mm. It took me about, about a year and a half because I started like December 2019, and then I finished it in September 2021, so pretty close to two years, I would say. Wow. A lot went into this. A lot of time, a lot of energy, I'm sure. So what was it like, Felicia, that moment you got the first physical copy in, got to look at it and hold it for the first time? Oh, my God. It was just super amazing. I couldn't believe it was my picture on the front of a book. <laughs> I couldn't believe that it's actually me, that I'm, I'm published this book and I wrote this book on my own, that I'm the actual author. is super, super, super exciting. Oh, my God. It was just, I feel so blessed. I feel very, very blessed to have my own book in my own hands. So, yes, absolutely. You know, Felicia, a lot of people listening right now are authors who haven't written, haven't published before, but they want to. So what advice do you have to offer them? Yes, everyone has a story to tell. Mm. Everyone has a story to tell, whether they tell it or not. 
And in my opinion, there are no rules to writing your own story. All you have to do is begin writing, tell your story from your heart and from your life experiences. And before you know it, you will have a book that you can share with individuals across the nation. Now, a lot of us have something that we want to say. We have a story to tell, but then we sit down to actually write it and we can't get the words to come out. Do you ever get writer's block or anything like that? And how do you get through the challenges like that when you're writing? Yes, sir. When I'm writing, I usually use the journal. I went through grad school, Mm. so I use the journal and research method. But even if you have not been to college, there are videos on YouTube that individuals and families can research how to use journal articles and how to research journal articles and also how to not plagiarize. You Mm. do not want to plagiarize the work, but you you want individuals and families to read your work. You want individuals and families to read your work. So on YouTube, there are professional writers who can help in that regard to prevent you from plagiarizing so that you can tell your story from a genuine perspective. Well, this book has so many important things to say, and I think a lot of people are going to love it. It's titled Remembering 2020, Year of the Most Memorable National Challenges. This is written by Felicia Hunt, and it's published by Fulton Books. You can grab this up anywhere, like at Amazon and Barnes & Noble, iTunes, Google Play, and at traditional brick-and-mortar stores. Yes, sir. Felicia, thank you again for being here and telling me all about your work. I had a great time talking with you, and I hope we get to do this again. Thank you, absolutely. And I would love to be invited anytime, anytime. It was such a pleasure speaking with you guys. Thank you. Sitting with me right now here at the Reader House Author Roundtable is author Ekpo Bassi. Ekpo, thank you for joining me. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. It's my pleasure to have you. You have a new book out in stores right now. I've got to congratulate you for that. It's called The Misunderstood. Can you tell me what your book's about? Well, The Misunderstood is our wrong decision-making in life that prevents us from properly appreciating God for who He is. Because of this, we shy away from him. And in this state state of embarrassment, God is being misunderstood. Because sometimes we ask for something and we do not have it because we do not have the patience to wait. Then we think that God is not for us and it's against us. Therefore, if you don't want to be in a constant confusion and be a failure, then misunderstanding God, in essence, this book then is for you. If you don't want to be in any of this constant confusion and failure in life, this book is for you because when you come to read it, you will understand who God is and it wouldn't be no longer misunderstood. Hmm. Who did you write The Misunderstood for, Ekpo? Did you have a target audience in mind when you were writing? Well, this book is for everybody because there are three entities of which every one of us fall into it because there are unbelievers, there are believers, and there are atheists. So whichever one, I believe that everybody has some form of belief that there is an existence of God. Mm. You know, we all have that intuitive knowledge that there is an existence of God, whether you are an atheist or whatever, because even if you are an atheist and somebody comes and attacks your wife or your daughter, there is something in you that knows that there is between between good and bad. Mm. So there is an intuitive knowledge of that because God is God of good and is not of bad. So everybody is involved in this. It's for everybody. Ekpo, how are you inspired to write The Misunderstood? Well, let me put it this way. Uh, when I had a difficulty with my wife, and uh, by now she's deceased, 
we separated for a while and I thought, well, <laughs> this was not meant for me. Mm. Because usually when certain things comes around your way that is not favorable, we tend to summarize it by saying that, well, it was not meant for me. But many times things are meant for us, but because we do not manage it well, and we are not even seeking advice from God to know. So this is where I ran amiss and I fell. After the Holy Spirit started convicting me of the things that I did wrong, and I start praying, and I get to a point when I called my late wife then to talk and make peace, she did not even want to listen to me. Mm. One of the pastors advised me that the only way is to pray. And I prayed for one and a half years. And all of a sudden, when I had lost hope, I said, well, God, maybe it's not meant for me. One day, my wife called out of Club Blue Sky and came to my place and looked at me in the face and said, I will never leave you again. Wow. That's how my life turned around. Ekpo, have you ever written or published before this? No, sir. <laughs> I've never. It was, uh, I don't know whether you know his name, Dwayne Dreyer. He was the one that when I saw him and he said, when you have an idea, don't start pondering and thinking and how you will start it. Just place your pen on a yellow pad mm. and start writing. And that's how this whole thing came into my mind. Well, that's fantastic. Do you think you'll be writing more in the future? Yes, sir. As a matter of fact, I have two books now in, the, in my laptop that I'm working on. So when you finally got the first copy of The Misunderstood in, that first physical copy, you got to hold it, look at it for the first time. Ekpo, what was that moment like for you? Wow. I can't even begin to describe it because just seeing my name on it mm. is, is something that I say, wow, I never in my wildest dream ever thought that I would see my name in a, in a, in a newspaper or anything that is good as this, as, as this. <laughs> you know, so it was just a great moment for my life. I think a lot of readers are going to be touched by this book. The title is The Misunderstood. It's written by Ekpo Bassi, and it's published by Christian Faith Publishing. You can find this everywhere like Amazon and Barnes & Noble, iTunes, and traditional brick-and-mortar stores. Now, Ekpo, thank you again for joining me here on the show tonight and telling me all about The Misunderstood. I had a really nice time. Thank you very kindly, sir. It's my pleasure. God will bless you. Thank you very much. This book offers a lot of things that will speak to your heart. It's titled, The Bible and the Badges, Blessed Are the Peacemakers. It's written by Janet Teague, and Janet is joining me here right now at the Reader House Author Roundtable to chat all about it. Janet, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for the invitation. It's an honor to be here. Well, it's an honor to have you here. Can you tell me all about the Bible and the badges? Absolutely. You know, I've served over 30 years in law enforcement, and I've seen more than my share of trauma, evil, death, and the like. Now I'm telling my story of being forced to confront trauma in this recently released book. And this book you can read usually within one day, giving vivid descriptions of incidents and insights into what officers go through. Mm -hmm. I highly recommend reading this life-saving book, especially if you're in law enforcement, if you're a first responder, you're a firefighter, you're an EMS, military, or anyone dealing with PTSD. But most importantly, I recommend this book to the family, the friends, or the loved ones of our heroes who are out there on the front lines each and every day. 
And I tell some of the most heartfelt descriptions, and I tell of an incident that surrounded in the aftermath of a shooting that I experienced back in 1994. Hmm. And I discuss this culture that keeps officers stuck, and I share in the book how I recovered to be who I am today. In this book, it's brutally honest with frontline stories to some of the most dangerous, the worst situations that others cannot comprehend. We're running to dangers. We're finding ourselves in a position to help because God is answering others' prayers through us. Mm. And in the Bible, in the badges, is one of the most important books of our time to give us the necessary next step forward in understanding the healing and trauma, the trauma that has been inflicted on our warriors in these tragic and violent times that we're living in now. The stories are very graphic. The descriptions of trauma and the incidents, they'll go straight to your heart. In the book, it'll address topics that have been classified prior leading to effects of layers of trauma that ensure. So we will not move forward if we deny our wounds and our scars. And this courage that was needed to write this book goes far beyond what is needed to pin on the badge. It's been long overdue for someone to step out and digging deep into the needs for tools that address PTSD injuries that officers face today. These stories that are told are horrifying, but they are encouraging at the same time. And you need to know that healing is possible if you're willing to speak up and speak out. So in this life story about how my faith in God led me into law enforcement and then later into ministry, the stories tell about many life-threatening situations that I experienced and how it made my faith even stronger and how it led me to reach out to others. Hmm. Janet, was the Bible and the Badges a book that took you a long time to write and then put through the publishing process? You know, it only took me five weeks last summer. And when I contacted the publisher, Christian Faith Publishing, the time went by very fast with the book. That's wonderful. When you got that first physical copy in, Janet, what was that moment like for you? It was very exciting to actually see the cover that had been what I thought I wanted it to look like. Mm -hmm. But it was just amazing what the publisher did with changing it. It's a beautiful book on the outside. I'm just amazed how fast this happened and that it has become a number one bestseller week after week after week. Mm. It's exciting that it is helping to change our warriors' lives. Mm. This is such an important book. It's titled The Bible and the Badges, Blessed are the Peacemakers. This is written by Janet Teague and is published by Christian Faith Publishing. Pick this up anywhere like Amazon and Barnes & Noble and iTunes and down the street at your local bookshop, too. It's been truly wonderful having you on the show here today, Janet. Thank you for joining me. I hope we can talk again sometime. Yes, sir. I look forward to talking to you again soon. Take care. Thank you. Decisions we have to make in the later stages of life can be difficult, and author Jennifer Zellin's new book, The Conversations of Palliative Care, Autonomy and Self-Determination Until the End addresses these challenges. Jennifer's right here with me now. We're going to talk all about it. Jennifer, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. Can you tell me about this book? This book is intended for anybody really to be able to pick up and read it, and it helps 
to open the door of discussion for sometimes uncomfortable things that we know we need to talk about but don't always talk about. Mm. It really describes what palliative care is versus hospice and how it can support somebody no matter how old they are or what disease processes they might have and really just point out conversations to determine what is your idea of a quality of life as people get older or sicker and what kind of medical treatments would you want to accept based on what it'll look like to you day to day. Sounds like a great book, Jennifer. How did you get the idea to write this and publish this? Well, (laughs) from 30 years plus of being a a nurse, I would see people that were asked to make really difficult decisions and families, and they may not have any idea that any of these choices would come up in the future. They wouldn't know how they might pay for the extra support somebody might need, like in the case of somebody with dementia that person is no longer able to contribute to decision-making. And just many years of seeing this and the frustration and fear, I've been a hospice nurse a little over 15 years and recognize that between the hospital and hospice, there's this whole gray area where people were not being supported medically or educationally to know what was normal to what was wrong with them. How does it look as it gets worse? What kind of help would they need? What kind of symptoms might they experience? So it really comes from the hands-on frustration that I've seen people go through that really is unnecessary. Mm. Jennifer, when it comes to writing and publishing, are you new to this or have you done it before? This is my first book. I did have an article published about palliative care during a pandemic because of the social isolation that everybody was experiencing being afraid to go to the hospital for treatment. Mm. And so this was just another way to support these people within the community and ensure that they're feeling okay and kind of triage if they really did need to go to the hospital or not. Well, this is such great work you're doing. Did this book take you a long time once you got the idea and you sat down and started writing it? Was that a long process? In spurt, it Mm. seems. Because of my experiences, What I wanted to put down on paper was pretty easy, but determining what chapters to include, how to word it, it's a very different approach writing this than a scientific article. But I wanted it to be entirely relatable to anybody who might pick it up and say, this is something I think I could benefit from or my family could benefit from. How do I find it? What should it look like? So it took about a year and a few months to actually get it all down and refined. Hmm. Have you given thought to writing another and publishing more here in the future? I would like to. Right. This book has a few case studies in it and different scenarios and would describe how somebody, say, with dementia would benefit from palliative care or prenatal devastating diagnosis and how that family decided what they were going to do, what made sense. Somebody who was a widow living far from her family and really just being overwhelmed with their own health issues and helping that person with heart and kidney problems, what did that look like? So I think more case studies would be applicable to the people maybe with lung problems or cancer or something like that, where they just need to have a heads up and a sounding board, somebody to fill in all the pieces besides their specialist and has the time really to be able to sit down 
in doctor's offices, you know, they might have 15 minutes or a half an hour, but some of these conversations, especially with families, can take an hour or two and then the repeat conversations. Well, this is a really important book, and I think a lot of people are going to be helped out and encouraged by it. It's called The Conversations of Palliative Care, Autonomy and Self-Determination Until the End. This is written by Jennifer Zellin, and it's published by Christian Faith Publishing. You can find this everywhere, of course, like Amazon and Barnes & Noble, iTunes, and traditional brick-and-mortar stores. Jennifer, it's been a real pleasure here having you on the show. Thank you for your hard work and your care for others. I hope we can speak again sometime. I would love it. Thank you so much for having me. There's a new encouraging book in stores right now. It's written by Barb Taylor, and the title is Where Are Papa's Glasses? The author Barb is sitting right here with me now to tell me all about it. Welcome to the Reader House Author Roundtable, Barb. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. This is great. You have this book out in stores now for everyone. Can you tell me what it's all about? It's basically about Grandpa who loses his glasses in various places, just like we all lose something at one time or another in one place or another. Mm -hmm. And what sorts of readers were you thinking would get the most out of this? I think anyone who has misplaced or lost something at some point would get something out of it. If not anything else, perhaps a smile or a laugh. I think everyone can appreciate that. They've asked themselves, where did I put this or where did it go? Like you said, Barb, it's a pretty universal thing. We all misplace things from time to time. So how did you get the idea to write this? Basically, this is my second published book. Hmm. Actually, I got the idea from writing this from when my grandson and daughter moved in back home with us a few years ago. It was a little chaotic, and things were a little disorganized, and things were readily getting misplaced by all of us. <laughs> and especially in salute to, to Grandpa, Papa. I decided to write this because that was one of the things that we were most searching for was his glasses, despite <laughs> having multiple pairs of them. I know sometimes it takes a long time for you to find that thing that you lost, Barb. So did it take you a long time to write this book and get it published? Actually, it, it, like I said, it was about five years ago that I wrote it. With the experience of having had my first book under tow, I decided that I would try for a second one. And mm. so I decided to get this published as well. It has been a great time. It has been a very fun experience. And when you finally got that first copy in, the physical one, the hard copy you've been working on all that time, what was that moment like for you, Barb? It was like unbelievable. I kept <laughs> looking at it thinking, is this really mine? <laughs> and I look at the name and think, or is someone using my name? I just kept looking at the front cover. <laughs> <laughs> Have you given any thought to a sequel to this or more publishing in the future? I haven't really, don't really have anything specifically in the works right now, but because life is one of my biggest inspirations for my writing, I would not, definitely would not rule it out. Hey, you never know when the inspiration's going to hit you there. Are you the kind of writer that finds yourself writing whenever the inspiration hits, or do you have a certain maybe time of day or a place that you like to go and get your thoughts together and write then? I basically keep a lot of things in my computer upstairs. And then as the need arises, I write them down. It may be something that I may use in a, a day or, or two, or it may be something that I won't use for several years. But I do, I do like to journal, and that's a, a pretty neat thing to do when you have lots of ideas. Yeah, journaling is a fantastic way to generate ideas and just to get some thoughts out there. Do you have any other advice that you would give to authors who are just starting out? If I could offer any advice to other would-be authors, it would be to reach for the star in the sky. Grab it and let it, help it, you let it help you to shine your light brighter for everyone else. 
we all have our dreams and our hopes, and sometimes we just don't do enough to pursue those. Absolutely. Barb, I can tell you have a lot of fun. You get a lot of joy out of the writing process. So overall, what would you say is the most rewarding aspect of being a published author? I would say the most rewarding aspect is the idea of the sense of accomplishment. Mm. The sense that, yes, I did this and it means something. And that is something that I can share with many people at the same time. And that is a really, really good feeling. Barb, do you ever find yourself getting writer's block, getting stuck for ideas? And if you do, how do you get past things like that? I don't really have a writer's block per se. I'm not one that writes every day. So normally when I have something that I'm thinking about and want to write about, the ideas pretty much flow. And what I try to do is when I come up with that idea that I want to write about, I really try to pinpoint what I want to say about my subject. What is it that I want to include in my story or in my poem? And then from there, I go and I kind of gather those ideas into some symmetrical order and put them into rhyming prose. I think a lot of people are going to really be into this book and ought to check it out. It's titled, Where Are Papa's Glasses? It's written by Barb Taylor, and it's published by Fulton Books. Of course, you can grab this up everywhere like Amazon, Barnes & Noble, iTunes, and Google Play. Well, Barb, thank you again for coming on the show here with me tonight and telling me all about Where Are Papa's Glasses. I hope we can talk again sometime. Thank you so much. I so enjoyed it. Have a wonderful day. Author Ophelia A. Villanueva is sitting right here with me now at the Reader House Author Roundtable. Great to have you here, Ophelia. Thank you so much for joining me tonight. Thank you, Corey, for having me. It's an honor. It's an honor for me as well. You have a new book out in stores right now. It's part of the Return to the Earth series, and the title is in Spanish. And again, my Spanish isn't the greatest. So, Ophelia, could you tell us about your book, the title, and what readers can expect? Actually, the book is Volver a la Tierra. And, it, it, you know, it's just a, a translation from Return to the Earth. And it's about a successful businessman from El Paso that has dedicated his entire adult life to his empire. But in the process, he has neglected his family shamefully. One day he decides to send them to a trip to Southern California. And right outside of Phoenix, Arizona, his plane crashes and he loses his entire family, including three small grandchildren. After that, of course, you know, it's understandable. He is completely devastated. He turns to liquor and he spirals basically out of control and he attempts to take his life and there's an intervention and he is unable to do it. And at that point, he decides to return to his native land, which is in the jungles of the Yucatan in Mexico, land of the Maya. There he discovers his true origin and his purpose, which is to save the world from an impending catastrophe. Can you imagine that? Sounds so exciting. Can you tell me how this book came about? Well, actually, it was my husband's script. His dream was to make it into a movie. Hmm. He handed it over to me and he said, why don't you just write the story? I'm not a writer. I do scripts. He said, scripts are so different. (laughs) So he said, just do your your thing with it. And I, I trust you completely. And I did. I just started, you know, writing and jotting down ideas from the script, of course. And before I knew it, I had it all ready. But unfortunately, my husband died uh, of COVID in November of 2020. I'm sorry. So he was never able to see his dream become a reality, unfortunately. I'm sure it was a challenge taking a script and writing a novel from it. Have you ever done anything like this before when it comes to novel writing? 
in a way it was new because I had never really written anything from a script. Although my late husband was very much for all the changes that I made because it's a completely different story from the script. The basic idea is there, but I changed a lot of it. I made it more exciting. You know, I put the Mayans in there and aliens and all kinds of things. So it is different. But I had written a short story when I was going to a university in Silver City, New Mexico. I was taking a Spanish class there, and the professor encouraged all of us to write a story, a short story. And I decided to do a story on my life, and I called it El Destino, which is destiny. And that's how I got started, actually. And then my, my late husband read it one day, and he saw the potential. He said, you have the biggest ability. Why haven't you pursued it? <laughs> well, I'm glad that you did. Now, this book is in Spanish. Can you tell me about the target readership that you were going for here? What I wanted to tell your audience, Corey, is that most books are usually translated in different languages, but this book, I wrote it. I actually wrote the English version first, and then I wrote the Spanish. Hmm. So you can't really say that it's translated because it's too, they're a little bit different in a way. You can't really follow it word by word or paragraph by paragraph. I think that's really important. It adds the human element to it. Yes. Also, I felt like the story took place in Mexico. Mm. I felt like it had to be in that language as well, you know? Mm -hmm. So like I said, it, I, I'm very proud to tell your audience that it is written in Spanish. It's not translated. So it makes a big difference. The flavor is there, you know? So you wrote the book twice. How long did this take you? Altogether, with, with writing the English, Return to the Earth, it took me approximately three years, but only because I didn't dedicate full time to it. Mm. It was only in my spare moments, you know, because my late husband and I, we had a real estate business. So that took up all our time. I know a lot of listeners are going to love this book and should check it out. It's titled Volver a la Tierra. It's part of the Return to the Earth series, and it's written by Ophelia A. Villanueva. You can find this everywhere, like Amazon, Barnes & Noble, iTunes, Google Play, and traditional brick-and-mortar stores. And, of course, it's published by Fulton Books. Ophelia, thank you again for joining me and telling me all about your work. I had a really nice time chatting with you. Thank you so much, Corey, for having me, and it was an honor. Princess Gwendolyn and the Shadow Clan. This is written by Michael Wolf, and it's the next book in the Benevolia series, and I'm really happy that Michael's here to tell me all about it. Michael, welcome to the Reader House Author Roundtable. I'm very happy to be here. I'm happy to have you here. So this is book two of the Benevolia series. Can you tell me what this one's about and about the series in general? So the Benevolia series is actually about kind of a world adventure. And so Princess Gwendolyn and the Shadow Clan is a great story about two princess sisters who are taken to a foreign hostile area from their home. And they manage to escape with the help of a local. This local teams up with them and helps agree to get them home by sneaking back through the territory in order to get them home before their kingdom is overthrown. Now, this is book two of a series where Benevolia, it will be revealed that Benevolia is the name of their world. Hmm. The idea behind the Benevolia series is that you will meet new characters and explore this world while they actually try to save it from utter destruction. Very interesting. How'd you come up with the idea for this story? I had created, when I was a lot younger, several different short stories of different main characters. 
And I came to the idea that instead of just telling 20 different small stories, it would be much more intriguing and more in-depth if I picked a few and connected them into one big grand adventure. Mm. This way, it would provide more depth and more, not realism, but a sense that this is an actual place and a setting and give it more personality, as it were. Mm. When it comes to the kinds of readers you think would be really into this, would you say fans of the fantasy genre? Oh, absolutely. It's a big fantasy adventure. I made it light enough for younger, very young, like 10-year-olds to read it without being scarred for life. But um, honestly, I put in subtle tones and messages and symbolism so that even an older reader could actually still enjoy the book as well. Hmm. I understand you're working on more books in the series, of course. Have you planned out how far out this is going to go? I'm thinking 12. Hmm. I really want to do 12 books, and I really, really want to make this series just open world and very expansive, traveling this mythical realm, different people, different characters, different races and backgrounds, and they all just come together in one big epic story. Michael, how long does it take it to write one of these books? I would say these two were definitely going to be the shortest. They're they're supposed to grow as it goes. That was the idea, Mm. to give you a nice short story and then grow it as you kind of grow with the story. So these books themselves took months, I would say eight months of writing, editing, taking some things out, putting some things in, you know, having ideas like later on, like, oh, that'd be a good addition, you know, and then putting it in and making it work. I would say each book took about eight months, but the future ones are going to be much longer, so they'll probably take longer. Mm. And after all that time and work that you put into it, when you finally get that first physical copy in, you get to hold it for the first time, you're looking at it, what's going through your head? A lot of tears, a lot of emotions, because this was a dream come true. This was something I wanted since I was eight years old, and actually holding your book in your hand for the first time, it's an experience unlike anything else it really is because you knew the story you knew how it was supposed to go to actually hold it in your hands and know that other people can do the same it's unreal looking back over all your writing now michael what's the most rewarding thing now of being a published author for you having accomplished it to be honest with you i mean it seemed like such a far-fetched dream and just something i wanted so bad for so long that i didn't want to ever give up and i wanted to accomplish it and when i actually held the book in my hands and i was able to let other people enjoy the stories because i did have some people who read it and absolutely loved the story it's just it became surreal well, i encourage my listeners to check this book out and this whole series it's called princess gwendolyn and the shadow clan of course, this is book two in the Benevolia series, and it's written by Michael Wolf. You can find this everywhere like Amazon and Barnes & Noble, iTunes, and traditional brick-and-mortar stores. Well, it's been wonderful talking to you today, Michael. Thank you so much for joining me and telling me all about the series. I hope we can do this again. Absolutely. I really appreciate it, and I thank you for your time. A 13,000-mile solo motorcycle journey around the United States led the man I'm talking to now to write his new book, Full Throttle Leadership, Passion, Power, and Purpose on the Edge of America. His name is Stephen G. Foster, and I have the honor of speaking with him right now. Welcome to the Reader House Author Roundtable, Stephen. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. I appreciate the opportunity. Well, it's my pleasure to have you here. Can you tell me all about your book, Full Throttle Leadership? 
Absolutely. Well, the book is really, it's a little bit autobiographical, but mostly it's a book about a motorcycle ride that I took in 2013 around the perimeter of the United States to support military veterans, Gold Star families, which is my cause. But it's really a book about leadership lessons, lessons learned as an entrepreneur, lessons learned as a team member, lessons learned as someone who owns his own company and hires and works with team members. So it's a book about leadership. It's a book about a biker bucket list. And uh, hopefully it's a book that everyone will enjoy, whether you ride motorcycles or not. That's fantastic. What gave you the idea to sit down and write this book to tell about your journey and then apply the leadership principles? Well, you know, I get asked that question a lot, and, and the truth of the matter is I never intended to write a book about it. This was not planned to promote me. It was, as I said, it was originally planned, and the spirit of the ride was to hit the road with some friends, military veterans, family members, and ride the perimeter of the United States, which few people have done, and then raise some funds, contribute to a cause that's near and dear to our heart. It turned out to be a solo motorcycle ride quite by accident, and because of that, I had more time to veer off course and spend time with some amazing folks that I met by accident and on purpose. And I blogged every day, and I had friends and colleagues, and I'm a speaker by trade. And so, of course, naturally, everyone said, well, you know, you need to make this a book. I felt like I, I didn't want it to be about me. I wanted it to be about our country, and I wanted it to be about service and sacrifice and never forgetting the great freedoms that we have. So it took me a little while. I like to say it took me uh, about three months to write it, but about four and a half years to figure out I wanted to write it. But I'm glad I did, and the response has been overwhelming, so I'm pleased with that. Is this your first time then writing or publishing? It was my very first book, absolutely. Congratulations. What was it like then, that day you got the first physical copy and you got to hold it and look at it for the first time? What was that like? Well, I was pretty pumped up. I I can't lie. It had been such a long journey from, you know, even going back to planning the ride itself to executing the ride and getting home and processing all the information and the experiences. But that was a proud day for me as a speaker. For the speakers bureaus that I work with and my good friend, Betty Garrett, who has been on me for years to write a book, it was a little bit of an aha moment to say, I did it. It's done. You don't have to bug me anymore about writing the book, but it's it's certainly an accomplishment that I'm proud of. And I'm mostly proud that it has allowed that ride to continue. It has allowed people to continue to contribute to veterans' causes and to remind people that we still have men and women who wear the uniform of our country who are still in harm's way all over the world. And so it's just a reminder that the ride doesn't stop. It continues and we all have opportunities to contribute. Well, Stephen, I really admire uh, everything that you're working towards here, and you certainly have my gratitude. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. That, that's gratitude that I don't deserve. It goes to our veterans, and our military families, and as I said, everybody has an opportunity to do something every day. It doesn't have to be large. You don't have to do a solo motorcycle ride around the country to say thank you to a veteran, to remember them on Memorial Day, which just passed, Veterans Day, Armed Forces Day. You know, if you see a veteran, go up and say thank you for your service. That sounds small, but I have to tell you, it's not. It's a big thing because we have a whole generation of Vietnam veterans that didn't get thank yous. I'm purposeful about looking for Vietnam veterans and saying, welcome home. Thank you for your service. It it means a lot. And we owe them that. Absolutely. Well, I really think my listeners ought to check this book out. The title is Full Throttle Leadership, 
Passion, Power, and Purpose on the Edge of America. It's written by Stephen G. Foster, CMP, and this is published by Fulton Books. It can be found everywhere, online at Amazon and Barnes & Noble, iTunes, Google Play, and also out there at traditional brick-and-mortar stores as well. Well, Stephen, thank you again for joining me and telling me about all the hard work, all the wonderful things that you're doing. I hope we can speak again soon. I look forward to the opportunity, and thank you. Readers will travel back to London in the World War II era in Patricia Friedberg's novel 21 Aldgate. I have the privilege of talking with Patricia here right now. Pat, thanks for being here. Welcome to the show. Uh, it's a pleasure. I look forward to speaking with you. I look forward to talking with you, too, especially about this new novel, 21 Aldgate. Can you tell me what readers can find in it? Well, they can find the story of a family that lived during the Second World War and what happened to them and about one particular character that is featured throughout the book. How did the inspiration or the idea for this come about? It came about, well, it's been coming about for years, actually. I wrote about it in a musical many years ago. Hmm. It didn't go anywhere in particular, but the story has always been with me. It's a personal story, one that I thought should be told and was, was also published, actually it was first published 10 years ago, and now it's being republished. Hmm. The reason being that it's so right for now, because we're going through similar situations in the world today. Hmm. Pat, would you say that fans of historical fiction then would be most into this? Yeah, it is historical fiction, which is being repeated, which is so sad. Mm. Now, you said this was published about 10 years ago for the first time. Before that, had you ever written or published before? Yes, yes. I was a journalist and a writer in Africa. When, and then there's another book that I've written about time uh, that was in a place called Southern Rhodesia, which is now Zimbabwe, which I was in for many years. So I have published and I have written and I've done a number of articles in, in various publications. Hmm. So I'm not new to it. I'm a little new to being a novel writer, but not a writer-writer. Hmm. I was going to say there is a difference between fiction and then journalistic writing. So did this take you a little longer than usual to write? Yeah, well, a book would. You know, an article is shorter. It sort of comes much more easily. But with a novel, you have to make sure that your characters stay within character and that the story is being told in the way that you want it to be told. Hmm. What are the chances you'll do a follow-up to this? Well, I think I may do a follow-up in the way of an autobiography, having lived for many years. I also lived through, as a child through the Second World War in London, so I know oh. sort of what I'm talking about as far as living through war and the aftermath. So yes, I think an autobiographical novel with both England and Africa, South Africa I lived in, and now the United States, is something that would show readers how one lives a life in many different places and how very different they are, but they make a big difference to the way you write because you've been educated by being in a place and by experiencing it, other than by being in a classroom and being taught it. I really hope you get that autobiography out. It sounds like your story is really unique and would be really valuable for people to hear. I think so. It's about colonialism in Africa, which I keep saying to all that I meet, people that are who say, you know, you colonials were dreadful. Well, 
Maybe some of them were, but there are other colonials who brought reading, writing, education, health, and many other things to these these countries that needed it desperately. And now that colonialism has has ended, more or less, these countries have gone back to where they were before they they started with the first colonials coming in. Mm. I'm not saying they were all good. They weren't. But the ones that were are sorely missed. Pat, a lot of our listeners right now have that same vision. They have a story that they want to tell, but they're just starting out. They've never written or published before. So do you have any words of wisdom that you could offer to the aspiring authors out there? Well, I think they just have to do it. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) And the hardest thing is sitting in front of a computer, in front of a blank page, and say, I'm going to write a book. I do think you have to have some notes in front of you. I do think you have to know what your characters, why they're there and what they're about to do. And you have to have a voice in the way that you speak about it and write about it so that the the characters come alive and they're not just a description. You've got to get them moving. It's something that is, once you get into it, you find that you get it up very early in the morning and you're writing. But it's that moment of sitting down and beginning. I think every writer has that problem. Well, I encourage my listeners to check this book out. It's titled 21 Aldgate. It's written by Patricia Friedberg, and it's published by Newman Springs Publishing. You can find this everywhere, like on Amazon and Barnes & Noble and iTunes, and also at traditional brick-and-mortar stores. Pat, thank you again for joining me here tonight, telling me all about 21 Aldgate and all, all of your creative endeavors. I hope we can talk again soon. Yeah, I'd, I'd like to do that. Thank you for calling, and thank you for including me. Thank you. This book is a combination of grassroots history and personal memoir. It's titled The Bad Old Days, A Decade of Struggling for Justice in Louisiana. It's written by Herbert Rothschild Jr., and Herbert is right here with me now to chat all about it. Herbert, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining me. Thank you, Corey. Good to be here. Well, it's great to have you here. Can you tell me what readers are in store for with The Bad Old Days? Yes. Well, we're talking about the mid-60s to a little past the mid-70s. I was in Louisiana. I am a native of New Orleans. I returned after my graduate work to get into the civil rights movement and did that by becoming part of the American Civil Liberties Union of Louisiana. And in 66, I started a chapter in Baton Rouge where Louisiana State University, my employer, is located. Later, I was a state president and still later a legislative director. And I was, in effect, part of all the movements of that time, civil rights movement, the movement for reform of criminal justice, the rights of students, women, and the mentally ill, the protest against the war in Vietnam. Hmm. What gave you the idea, the inspiration to sit down and write this book and publish it? Well, I have to say that looking back on those times gave me a good bit of satisfaction. Mm -hmm. Becoming part of a movement for meaningful social change is not the only way to impart meaning to one's life, but it is a really good way to. Absolutely. And I treasured it. It meant a great deal to me, changed my life. I treasured those memories, and I thought I would share them. In addition, so much of the history of those times focuses on a few outstanding leaders like Martin Luther King, 
which is understandable, but it took thousands of people in town after town across the South to change that culture from one of custom, which was based on the systematic humiliation and exploitation of black people to something like the rest of the country. When you think of the kind of reading audience that you were going for here, what sorts of readers are those? Well, anybody who is interested in that history and getting a rather granular sense, that is, what it was really like day-to-day on the ground, what the nature of those struggles were, I think would be interested. It was such a formative period in American life. In addition, there is the constant question, has anything changed for the better? Mm. Because there are continual struggles for racial justice and other forms of social equity. And I think people will find that that world is not the world we live in now, though there are too many elements that are similar, but that it will be an inspiration for people to realize that people can make a difference when they get together and they have a clear idea of what they're struggling for. Herbert, have you given any thought to maybe a follow-up to this? No. uh, What I do now, and I've been doing it for a long time, is I write a weekly column for the news publication in Ashland, Oregon. Hmm. So I've been doing that since 2014 with a couple of breaks. So that's primarily my focus of my writing. When you look back over all of this, Herbert, what's the most rewarding thing about being a published author and having your voice out there for the world? Well, I have to say that one wants to share with people what one feels is important. And publication, either through the airways or through print, is the way we do share. And it's the way we form a community of people with shared concerns and shared aspirations. And that's what is so rewarding to me about publishing. Hmm. Well, the title of the book is The Bad Old Days. A Decade of Struggling for Justice in Louisiana. This is written by Herbert Rothschild, Jr., and it's published by Fulton Books. Jump online and grab this at Amazon, at Barnes & Noble, or iTunes, Google Play, and also at traditional brick-and-mortar stores. Well, it's been a real pleasure speaking with you here tonight, Herbert. Thank you so much again for joining me. Thank you, Corey. It's been my privilege. We hope you enjoyed this edition of the Reader House Author Roundtable where authors from all walks of life come together to discuss the trials, tribulations, and triumphs of publishing their books. We hope to see you back here every Friday night at 8 p.m. or listen anytime via podcast at Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and Podserve, to name just a few. The Author Roundtable is sponsored by Reader House Online Bookstore, where independent new authors come first. 